Okay, we are at Esther chapter 9 this morning, and we'll be starting at verse 11. So let's open with prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the things we can learn about you from your word. And, and especially as we've gone through this story uh, about your, your love and care for your people and how you work even when it's not obvious, Lord, that you're there working at all times to take care of those you love. And we just thank you for that. And, and uh, we pray as we study this morning that you'll help us to even reinforce that, uh, to see it even more and more. And we just pray you'll bless our time now in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, we will read chapter 9, starting at verse 11. That very day, the number of those killed in Susa, the citadel, was reported to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and the 10 sons of Haman in the city of Susa. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now that is your petition. It will be given you. What is your request? It will also be granted. Then said Esther, if it pleases the king, let tomorrow also be granted to the Jews who are in Susa to do according to the edict of today, and let Haman's 10 sons be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded this to be done. An edict was issued in Susa, and they impaled the ten sons of Haman. The Jews in Susa came together on the fourteenth day of the month of Adar, and they put to death in Susa three hundred men, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. The remainder of the Jews in the king's provinces gathered together and protected their lives, had rest from their enemies, and <coughs> killed seventy-five thousand of their enemies, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. This happened on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. But the Jews who were in Susa assembled on the 13th and the 14th of the same month, and they rested on the 15th day and made it a day of feasting and rejoicing. Therefore the Jews of the villages who live in the rural towns hold the 14th day of the month of Adar as a day for gladness and feasting, as a holiday, and as a day on which they send gifts of food to one another. Uh, through the end of the chapter. Yeah. Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the province of King Xerxes, near and far. Obliging them to celebrate the 14th day of the month Adar and the 15th day of the same month annually. As a time when the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration, he wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them. Because Haman, the son of Hamadeth, the Agathite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to annihilate them and had cast her, that is the lot, to consume them and destroy them. But when the plot came to the king's attention, he issued written orders that the evil scheme Haman had devised against the Jews should come back onto his own head, and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore they called these days Purim, after the name of Pur. And because of the instructions in this letter, both what they had seen in this regard and what had happened to them. The Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written and at the time appointed every year. 
These days should be remembered and observed in every generation by every family, and in every province, and in every city. And these days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should they, the memory of these days die out among their descendants. Then Queen Esther, daughter of Abihel, with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter about Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews in the 127 province of Xerxes' kingdom, words of goodwill and assurance. To establish these days of Purim at their designated times, as Mordecai and the Jew and Queen Esther had decreed for them, and as they had established for themselves and their descendants in regard to their times of fasting and lamentation. So the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim, and it was written in the book. Okay, so last week we finished up chapter 8, and so uh, Mordecai had sent out this edict that allowed the Jews to uh, kill their enemies on this 13th day of the 12th month, and then we saw that he was raised up into second in authority in the kingdom, uh, and so he was given a, a great deal of uh, power and authority, and we saw that the, as a result of this, the Jews are rejoicing, the city of Susa was rejoicing, and they now had someone in office that was good and they could trust, and Haman was gone. And then we had this eight-month gap between chapters 8 and chapters 9 until we came to the 12th month, and then we see that the Jews uh, began to attack their enemies. We also saw that in, you know, the rulers, the governors, the princes, all helped the Jews. They had basically the two competing edicts, Haman's edict to exterminate the Jews, Mordecai's edict to allow the Jews to defend themselves. Well, Haman was gone, so if they ignored his edict, nothing was going to happen to them. Mordecai was extremely powerful, so they knew politically they'd better side with Mordecai, and so they did support this. Um, and then we saw in Susa, they killed 500, and they killed the 10 sons of Haman. And that brings us up to verse 11. So looking at 11 and 12, it says, On that day the number of those killed in Susa, the capital, was reported to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, The Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and the 10 sons of Haman in Susa, the capital. What then have they done in the rest of the provinces? Now, what is your petition? It shall even be granted you. And what is your further request? It shall also be done. So here we see the uh, summation, 500 of the Jews' enemies in Susa, the capital city, had been killed. And also uh, they had killed the 10 sons of Haman. And so then the Hazras says, well, what have they done in the rest of the provinces? <clears throat> um, it almost sounds like he's surprised by this large number. And, you know, I kind of looking at this, I say, is he shocked that so many were killed? Or is he excited for the Jews that they were so successful? You know, well, is this really what they were supposed to do? Because it sounds like they were supposed to be able to defend themselves and avenge that what took place. Yeah, yeah. But these are like first strike. You know, it's... Yeah, that's like a one-day, yeah. I mean, I mean, you don't like me, so I'm going to take you out. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I wonder, too, if it was a rhetorical question, because how would he not know how many people? I mean, he's got, I'm sure, runners and... Well, at this time, they don't know yet, because this, this is day one, and it's a huge kingdom. You know, it, gets, it takes like a week or so, I think, was the fastest... Get a message? Yeah, it was almost like the, to get to the so how would she Express that so they would... So how would she okay. know if he doesn't know, is my question. Like, how is he like, oh, how? Yeah, it's, it's almost like he's going to her for advice. I think she'll just find out. Right. It is rhetorical, but it's not, but he's it's like, wow, they've killed this many in what in Susa. They, you know what have they done in the rest of the? Right, because yeah. he he knows how he knows. many in the local. Like yeah yeah he, yeah, knows, he knows the knows local number, Susa. but the reports from the outlying areas haven't come in yet. So the seventy five thousand so, isn't known not yet. yet. No, they don't know that yet. No. And I'm confused. Did the Jews kill him and then they hung the sons on the gallows? <laughs> Yes. There's good questions. Yes. So. I don't really like this violence. Yeah. Stuff, well, well, I think about the wives and the mother. Yeah. Haman's wife and the mom of the ten boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because she's not mentioned. No. No. She wasn't innocent, though. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And right. she, she had some ideas of what should be done earlier. You wonder about children, too. And that's right. you know, yeah. Who supports them? Well, you, you look at Haman's original edict was to wipe out the Jews, including all the women and children. Uh, Mordecai's edict was, no, you just take out the men who are persecuting you. Yeah. Um, so how is this right to kill ones that haven't persecuted you yet? Well... Because if you're, you know, you didn't kill the ones that persecuted you, but they went after those who had desires against them, then it's like the same thing to me. Well, how do you know that it was a first strike thing, Joseph? Well, it was just, it was saying on that, there in chapter, no, I remember, is it? It just says the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men. That doesn't mean that. On five, the Jews struck down all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them. And they did what they pleased to those who hated them. It's not like we, they defended themselves. So. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just, it seems like there's like... Well, as, as, we, go th- yeah. as we go through this, some of the things, Come, yeah. they kind of, yeah, they kind of yeah. lean one way or the other. Because, you know, that was a, the, the question I had about the king was, was he shocked that so many of his subjects had been killed? Or was he excited on behalf of Esther and the Jews that they had been so successful at destroying their enemies. I think there's a third option, so, and I think okay. the next two questions where he says, now what is your petition? It will be given you. I think he sees sort of the awe and power of God. So yeah. I think there's a little bit of fear in him where he's like, wait, <laughs> how many have been destroyed? What yeah. is it that you want now? Like, you know, sort of like I see the light. This yeah. is, you have power. That's yes. how I interpret those next two questions off the right. list. Right. Yeah, what's your petition? It'll be granted. What's yeah. your what's your request? <laughs> what's and it's he, not really Esther and Mordecai's power. He's getting a glimpse of God. Yes. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's right. Right. Yeah. <coughs> um, but he's he actually it sounds like he's encouraging Esther to ask for more. Mm-hmm. What you know, it's not like she's not coming to him and begging like she did early in chapter eight. You know, crying and weeping. No, now he's asking her. Okay, 
what else can we do? We can do more. What do you want? Um, and so we see that in uh, verses 13 through 15, we see what she asked for. And then said Esther, if it pleases the king, let tomorrow also be granted to the Jews who are in Susa to do according to the edict of today. And let Haman's ten sons be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded that it should be done so, and an edict was issued in Susa, and Haman's ten sons were hanged. And the Jews who were in Susa assembled also on the uh, 14th day of the month Adar and killed 300 men in Susa, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. So she asked for more. Now, is Esther really that bloodthirsty here? We want to kill more. That, that doesn't fit the Esther we've been talking about, does it? Because she was always very submissive, very humble, very pleasing. Everybody liked her. Now she's saying, I want to, let's just go kill more. I think what... <laughs> Make sure we just finish off what didn't get killed today. Let's do it again tomorrow. I, I have, it doesn't, doesn't say this, but I have a pretty good idea that she consulted with Mordecai. And Mordecai knew the situation. Um, he knew how many enemies were out there in, in Susa. Mm -hmm. You know, she was probably a, a teenager when she was made queen, and she's been in the harem ever since. She doesn't know what happens out on the streets of the city. Uh, Mordecai probably does. And the request is just for Susa, right? Yeah. Just Susa, yeah. So that's the, the first request. Extend the time for the Jews to kill their enemies. Another, Give us another day to kill the rest of their enemies that I'm guessing Mordecai knows about in Susa. And the reason it was limited to Susa is because... They didn't want to take time to spread out. How, yes, they, they didn't have time to let anybody know, maybe there were some suburbs around Susa that would, they could get the message to, but they, it couldn't go any further than that in one day. Because they finished the day, okay, they had a few hours to, they probably had trouble telling everybody in Susa what was going on, let alone outside. It's just a communication issue. Yeah, but that way their enemies might still be hiding the next day. Yeah. And then... Because they probably hide the first day. Because they saw it, yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I'm guessing, again, Mordecai knew who the problem people were in Susa, but he may not have known anything about outside the capital city. So it's just, lo it's just localized. It applies just to Susa. And then secondly, hang the ten sons of Haman. Now in verses 7 through 10, they had already been killed. Mm -hmm. So this has to do with hanging the bodies up, displaying the bodies. <coughs> this is a deterrent. Back in the old days, hangings were public. Well, like it says in my version, impaling. So. Yeah, impaling. Hang the bodies up. It's, it's a deterrent. Um, that's, you know, Roman crucifixion was that. They'd, they'd hang the bodies on the crucifix and they'd leave them there. So everybody who went by could see, you know, this is what happens to those who defy the Roman Empire. Um, I believe when... Um, King Saul was killed that the Philistines took their bodies and hung them on the outside walls of their city. And then there was a group who went and, of Jews who went and, in, at night and, and got the bodies and gave them proper burial. So this displaying of the bodies was not uncommon at all. Yeah, like the Roman, when they put down the slave revolt, it was 
hundreds of miles that they <laughs> crucified people, the slaves along the road. Yeah, yeah. And that would be a deterrent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be. <laughs> so, <coughs> anyways, the king commanded that it should be done, and they hanged the ten sons of Haman. And so the Jews who had been killing their enemies, they reassembled on the 14th day, and they went out to, con to complete the job. And they killed another 300 uh, men in Susa. So that's a total of 800 that they killed in the capital city. There's a couple places where it talks about letters being sent out versus edicts, and, and I think they, at least the edicts and the um, letters sound like they're the same thing. They're used kind of in op opposition to each other. Yeah, because everybody that was told to attack the Jews was only given one day. The Jews were given two days to, at least in Susa, to defend right. themselves. Right. right, they got an extra day in, in Susa. So, and, and again, we've already talked, end of verse 15, they did not lay their hands on the plunder. And we've talked about that already. They were not doing it for the wealth. Mm -hmm. They were doing it to kill their enemies, and that's it. <coughs> Okay, looking at verse 16, we'll see how successful they were. So now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces assembled to defend their lives and rid themselves of their enemies and kill 75,000 of those who hated them. <coughs> but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. So this is a report has come in now from the rest of the provinces. Um, and I think this verse makes it pretty clear they did not just act in self-defense. It tells us, you know, they could defend themselves and rid themselves of their enemies. So I think they knew who it was who had been persecuting them. You know, they may not have been killed by these enemies, but the enemies were persecuting them. Um, and so they got rid of them, of those that hated them. Um, now, it gives the total number of dead here is 75,000. That's a lot. And so there's a lot of discussion in the commentaries about, is this number really accurate? Um, this well, it's a big province. Well, it's a big what kingdom, yeah. What the, what the <clears throat> civilization is. You know, we yeah. hear these earthquake numbers out of Syria, mm -hmm. and I'm like, yeah. you know, how many is that? They've yeah, exactly. got all these who are without homes. Right, right. But in, you know, in reading these different commentaries, the Septuagint, which is the, the Greek translation from about 300 BC, it gives a number as 15,000. And you read the Jewish Targums, they say 10,107. <laughs> wow. So th th those both give you smaller numbers. <clears throat> but if you look at just about all the different English translations that I found, they all say 75,000. Mm -hmm. So that's what the Hebrew says. Um, what does Josephus say? <laughs> I don't know what Josephus says. Um, so I'm thinking, okay, let's evaluate this number. The bloodiest day of the American Civil War was in Antietam. 23,000 casualties. 
Now, casualties include wounded. So how many people actually died at Antietam? It was a little under 3,700. Not that. Casualties in Vietnam War, 55,000. Yeah. Total. Yeah. Over years. Years of war. Yeah. So, you know, when you think 800 killed in Susa, that, that's, you know, roughly 1% of the total. You know, it's kind of like I can see where people wonder about this number. Um, one of the other things that mentioned an explanation is that the word translated 1,000 can also be translated as family or clan. So they actually eliminated 75 clans of enemies. And... Well, anyway, <laughs> anyways, I went um, in my software. You can do a concordance based on the Hebrew word here. Everywhere in the scripture, it's translated as thousand, not as family, not as clan, but as thousand. So I think, I think this actually says seventy-five thousand. So let's look at some other places in scripture where we've got a lot of people being killed and see if this number even fits let's look at Judges chapter 12 Judges chapter 12 someone like read verses 5 and 6 for us So this is between tribes of Judah killing each other. Um, this is a Sibboleth or Shibboleth. I think the term is still used today is a, a, a test. You know, do you have an accent? <laughs> you die. Right. Uh, 42,000 died there. It doesn't necessarily say that it happened in one day, but that's a big number, 42,000. You want the judge that's good here. Pardon? You hope the judge there has a good ear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to hear the words properly. Okay, let's let's look at First Kings chapter twenty. First Kings, First Kings chapter twenty and verse twenty nine. For seven days they camped opposite each other, and on the seventh day the battle was joined. The Israelites inflicted 100,000 casualties on the Aramean foot soldiers in one day. So there's 100,000 in one day. So this was in one battle in one location in Israel. And again, the Persian Empire was huge. Israel was just one little dot on in their empire. So 100,000 in one day. Well, you read the next verse and it says the rest of them escaped and the wall collapsed on 27,000 of them. <laughs> I mean, that was just a wall. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a lot of big numbers here. Let's, let's look at a couple more. First Chronicles, chapter 21. The more I looked at these, the more numbers I found. First Chronicles 21, someone like to read verse 14 for us there. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel, and 70,000 men of Israel fell. Okay. So this is when God was judging David for numbering the, the Jews. And God sent a pestilence and killed 70,000 of them. And last but not least, let's look at Second Chronicles chapter 13. If there's one of these numbers I have, I wonder about, this is it. Second Chronicles chapter 13, would someone like to read verse 17? When Abijah and his people struck them with a great slaughter, so 500,000 choice men of Israel fell slain. Half a million lost. Yeah. Those are huge numbers. <laughs> I mean, what? You didn't get numbers like that in Japan when we dropped autumn bombs on cities. It was huge numbers. So it makes the 75,000 look pretty small by comparison, doesn't it? I just can't think of the amount of widows that you have. I know. How do they take care of us? How do you take care of your, your children in, in those days when you have no husband? I, I think most of them ended up being slaves. And mm. There's a lot of slavery going on, I think. Yeah. It was pretty common. And possibly some extended family. Yeah. I mean, mm. and, and, I mean slavery was very common. Yeah. And it wasn't oh. maybe even as bad as we think of it. Maybe some was, certain some wasn't. Yeah, I was. How do you repopulate that many men? It takes a while. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's population control. Yes. Well, it's not like they're having triplets like my parents. I mean, they exponentially grow. But. So, anyways, big number. Um, there is some debate over it, but whatever the amount of number, whatever the number was, the Jews uh, were very effective in eliminating their enemies here. And again, we're told they did not touch the plunder. <clears throat> what happened to the plunder? <clears throat> they just left it, I guess. Nobody else the wives got to keep it. Yeah, maybe that's what kept the wives and kids alive. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. yeah. Widow's pension. Widow's pension. Okay, so let's go on to the next little section here, 17 through 19. And this was done on the 13th day of the month Adar, and on the 14th day they rested and made it a day of feasting and rejoicing. But the Jews who were in Susa assembled on the 13th and 14th of the same month, and they rested on the 15th day and made it a day of feasting and rejoicing. And therefore the Jews of the rural areas who live in the rural towns make the 14th day of the month Adar, a holiday for rejoicing and feasting and sending portions of food to one another. So the rest of this chapter basically deals with how they celebrate this event. Um, 
So again, they're telling us outside Susa, you know, they finished killing your enemies on the 13th. <clears throat> so 14th, they had celebration. They feasted, had great joy. Uh, you know, it sounds kind of hard-hearted to yeah. celebrate. Rejoice in some of it. Yeah, re rejoice over killing so many of your enemies, but I think that might... The rejoice in freedom. Yeah, it might give us an idea of just how badly they had been persecuted and treated by by their enemies. Well, they had that edict hanging over their <laughs> yeah. head for right. a long time, and that edict was going to take everybody. Right. right. And it wasn't... Right. Just... And, and it wasn't... And the thing is, that would never happen again because they had gotten rid of their enemies. It wasn't like they just said, okay, don't do it this time, but, you know, who knows, maybe next year it might come up again, or, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But they were... Is Purim celebrated now? What, like, what day, what month is it now for the Jewish culture? March 6th. <laughs> yep. Or the evening of March 6th and then March 7th. I, I, so. Okay, so outside the city, they celebrated on the 14th in Susa since they continued to kill their enemies on the 14th, they celebrated on the 15th. And we'll see that a few times as we go through this. Um, so this says, this explains why the rural towns, those outside the city, celebrate on the 14th, in Susa on the 15th. Um, I did go, you know, you were asking about do they still celebrate it, so I, you know, go online and do some research. Um, another word name for Susa is Shusha with a SH. And you can look up Shushan Purim. That's celebrated in Jerusalem on the 15th, whereas regular Purim is celebrated on the 14th. So even though Jerusalem was rural at the time, it is now the capital city. And so they celebrate as though it, it was the capital. So they have two days of celebration? So they have a second celebration in Jerusalem. And they still do that, yeah. Um, so, yeah, and this year it's, it's going to be, again, sundown on March 6th and goes through March 7th. So that's their last month. Uh, and looking at calendars... Um, but every third year, they have to add an extra month. So they have two ADARs. Mm -hmm. So they celebrate it in the second ADAR mm -hmm. uh, when they do that. A whole month. They add a whole month. It's a lunar calendar. Right. So <coughs> yes, you have to add a whole lunar cycle, mm -hmm. 29 and a half days, if you start getting your, your calendar needs to be moved back. <coughs> so... Uh, so they gave presents to each other. You know, this makes it sound a little bit like Christmas. But, uh, actually, it says portions. So it's actually uh, probably food, because they're talking about feasting and celebrating, and they would give portions of food to each other. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, so they're celebrating the death of their enemies. 
There's a strangely similar story in Revelation chapter 11. Let's turn there. Chapter 1? 11. Okay. Revelation chapter 11. This has to do with God's two witnesses. Um, someone would like to read verses 7 through 11. Revelation 11, 7 through 11. They killed their enemies and they left them out there to, right. on display. Yeah. And the people rejoiced and gave presents to each other. This is a huge celebration. These guys must have really been a nuisance to them. Um, and they were having a great time celebrating and then they both popped up and verse 12, God takes them up into heaven. So, um, again, the celebration of the death of your enemies. <clears throat> okay, back to Esther, looking at verses 20 through 22. Then Mordecai recorded these events. He sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to celebrate the 14th day of the month Adar and the 15th day of the same month annually. Because on those days the Jews rid themselves of their enemies, and it was a month which was turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday. And they should make them days of feasting and rejoicing and sending portions of food to one another and gifts to the poor. <clears throat> so we see here Mordecai rec records this information uh, in the official records. And then he sends out letters to the Jews throughout the land. And I probably... In included the whole story of why all this happened. Some of the Jews in the provinces may have, okay, we were supposed to be extinguished and now we get to defend ourselves. Why? You know, so he may have sent out more information at this time as to why it all happened. <clears throat> and he also, this requires them to celebrate. They're obliged to celebrate this annually. So it now becomes an official government holiday here. Um, it says they'd gotten rid of all their enemies. They didn't just defend themselves, they got rid of their enemies. They turned a day of mourning into a day of gladness. <clears throat> and again we see the feasting and rejoicing. And this passage adds at the end... Uh, giving gifts to the poor. So that's something we haven't seen before. So that's added onto that. And again, if you go and look look up Purim online, that's one of the things they do on, on the Feast of Purim is they give gifts to the poor. So that's still done. <clears throat> okay, looking at 23 through 25. This, is, this gets to be kind of repetitious here. 
It's like, God's really pounding this into it. <laughs> this is why they have Purim. And, and, uh, so, okay. 23 through 25. Thus the Jews undertook what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the adversary of all the Jews, had schemed against the Jews to destroy them and had cast poor, that is the lot, to disturb them and destroy them. But when it came to the king's attention, he commanded by letter that his wicked scheme, which he had devised against the Jews, should return on his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore they called these days Purim, after the name of Pur. And because of the instructions in this letter, both what they had seen in this regard and what had happened to them. Oops, I went on a little too far. So this passage again summarizes what had happened um, over the last few months. <clears throat> so primarily, the Jews accomplished what they had wanted to do, which is to rid themselves of their enemies. And that's what Mordecai had written. So they'd killed all their enemies. Uh, they'd complied with the royal edict that Mordecai had sent out. And then we've got an, <coughs> me, an explanation of why this had happened. So it begins with a full pertinent description of Haman again. Uh, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite. And we've already mentioned Agag was the king of the Amalekites that Saul was supposed to wipe out and didn't. And so all throughout history, the Amalekites were one of the primary enemies of the Jews. And it goes all the way back to the Exodus. When the Jews came out of Egypt and were wandering in the wilderness, guess who attacked them? The Amalekites. That was their first attack. And so all throughout centuries of history, the Amalekites and the Jews uh, were at each other's throats. And Haman was one of them. <clears throat> so what had he done? He came up with this scheme to utterly destroy the Jews. And as he was doing it, you know, pagan practice is you go to your gods to get the details, you know, what's, should I do this, shouldn't I do this? What day should I do this? Will you bless me, O gods? And they do that by casting lots. And the Persian word, <coughs> excuse me, for lots is basically poor. So this is the Persian word, and it's just been transliterated into the Hebrew and now into the English. So that's the, the Persian word for casting lots. Um, <clears throat> I had read a biography of Alexander the Great. And it's, you know, every time he started to do something, he'd stop and offer all these sacrifices to all his gods and you know, ask for their support. And, you know, so I can see uh, Haman doing this. That was common. Um, so this says the scheme was uh, undone in verse 25 it says at least in New American Standards but when it came to the king's attention that word it is actually a feminine pronoun so literally it is but when she came to the king's attention 
And so if you look at the King James or the New King James, it says when Esther came in. So they assume that that refers to Esther going to the king. Um, but other versions just say when it, the plot, came to the king's attention. So he commanded by letter. Uh, your, your comment to, about redundancy, I have a note in my study Bible. It says people tend to have short memories when it comes to God's faithfulness. To help counter this, Mordecai wrote down these events and encouraged or encoded uh -huh. an annual holiday to commemorate the historic days of her. Yes. And so we see it repeated over and over again here. Sometimes we'll, we'll look at God's word and wonder, well, why does he say the same thing over and over again? Because we need it. <laughs> God needs to beat it into our thick heads. <laughs> and then it even goes on to say, yeah. you know, when we celebrate Easter and Christmas, make sure we're celebrating the real. Right, the birth of Christ you know, yeah. and the resurrection, yes. Now, one of the things is, you know, as you're going through this, you look at what the king does, you know, it looks like the way it's written up here it doesn't really blame him for anything. <laughs> Sounds like he actually did a pretty good job here. When, but, you know, as we saw earlier, he approved this evil plot without really asking any questions. Yeah. You know, he was negligent, is really what he was. Um, he trusted him, too. <laughs> he did. He should, yeah. He didn't. <laughs> that is his fault. Yeah. 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 But really, uh, and again, you know, when this is written or Mordecai writes this down, the, the king is still the king. You don't go and say, yeah, our king was stupid or negligent or, no, you don't say that. Um, now, when, when Esther did finally let the king know what was going on, he did act appropriately. So, um, but you look at, but it gives in verse 25, it, it tells us um, the things that he did, um, but really most of them were instigated by Mordecai and Esther. So in verse 25 it says, uh, You know, the first king issued a letter that turned the tables on the enemies of the Jews. Who wrote the letter? Mordecai. Remember God's, or excuse me, uh, the king said, you know, I've done so much, I can't, I can't violate the edict. Here, you take my ring, you go do something, whatever you think is best. But here the king is given credit for that. Um, secondly, it says he hanged Haman. Well, he did do this. Because as soon as he realized that Haman had basically um, oh, violated his trust, he had him hung. So that's, that was the king's doing. Uh, and then that the Haman's sons were killed and hanged. Well, the Jews killed Haman's sons because they were enemies. And Esther, again, and Mordecai requested that they be hanged. So the king's given a lot of credit for the good things that really were instigated by Haman and Esther here. So. Okay, well that's uh, a good place to break at the end of verse 25 and we'll
I think we should be able to finish uh, the book next week. So. Joe, would you like to close your prayer for us this morning? Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way it speaks to us, the way it spoke um, to those in the past, and how you protect those, and tell the stories of that. And we just thank you that the examples are there for, laid out for us also. And we just pray that we will be obedient to what you have for us, to end your word, that we will be read and take in and take that as first-hand knowledge of you and, and things you speak to us. Pray we'll be obedient to what you have us to do. Pray for this hour, for the next hour to come. Your precious name, pray. Thank you.